0: Hi, David Christoph here. And Marcus Pierce here. After you listen to this Wellness Couch podcast, make sure you strap on your early bird wellness cape and head over to thewellnesssummer.com and book your early bird tickets. Tickets are going like hotcakes and why wouldn't they be? Because two days of Powerhouse Wellness featuring the Up For A Chat girls, the new couch rock star Kyle Brock, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, our beautiful special guest Nat Greengoodis, quirky Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce MP, our brother, the Wellness Guys, and more should not be missed. Get ready for some serious wellness inspiration, education, extrapolation, information, Firmation. fermentation, and so much more. Head to thewellnesssummit.com and book your tickets now. WellnessCouch.com,
1: streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for That Paleo Show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill.
0: Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and today on the podcast show, I am by myself. I am without a co-host at the moment, so you're all going to have to get used to hearing a little bit more of my voice at the moment. Uh, we do have some exciting news coming up about co-host or a co-host who's going to come and join me, but you'll, you'll find out all about that soon. But for now, we've got a very exciting guest who's going to come in and join me. This week, we're joined by Steve Gangemi, a.k.a. the Soch Doc. Uh, he is, I've just found out actually, he is also a chiropractor. Um, he's into barefoot stuff. He's into paleo. So we're going to have some great conversations about all sorts of stuff in that respect. He's got an awesome website. But I'm going to let Steve uh, introduce himself a little bit here. Steve, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us about your story and how did you come to be the sock doc?
1: Okay. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, so basically my background is uh, endurance activities endurance events um i sort of grew up doing ironman triathlons out of high school 20 plus years ago and uh ended up racing in 20 ironmans finishing in 16 of them and i was you know pretty good back then i was in hawaii ironman champion championship six years so i was uh i was big into the ironman event and events and uh Around that time, I was also starting to go, or I was in chiropractic school at the same time, 96, 97, 98, like those middle 90 years, and um, started learning about a lot about health and nutrition and body posture and, and all that stuff that we learn in school, and uh, then started looking more into um, how athletes perform better and how athletes get injured and how we can naturally treat and prevent all, prevent all those things, and just uh, sparked my interest there, and And, uh, I started following like a, almost like a paleo diet back then, even though it wasn't, you know, there wasn't much available (laughs) then I I was still, you know, probably eating too many carbohydrates and, and I was still eating wheat and some grains, but I was eating a higher fat diet and, uh, you know, starting to use coconut oil and more, um, you know, natural beefs and lots of vegetables and that sort of stuff. And, or, you know, at the same time I was starting to get into minimalist running when that started to come out in the late, uh, or I'll say early 2000s, I think 2004, nice. I wore my first pair of, uh, of Nike freeze, um, you know, running shoes, which aren't too minimalist today, but they sure <laughs> were back then, you know? Uh, so I, I really just, you know, the whole movement and, and, uh, and, uh, the, um, the, uh, the diet and the natural movement started spark my interest back then. And I started racing, you know, really well never got injured, you know, which I don't think too many Ironman athletes can (laughs) say, especially with a good 15, 16 year career and and doing all those races. I was actually not that I didn't ever have any aches and pains, but I was never to the point where I couldn't race because I was injured or I couldn't train because I had some, you know, debilitating type of injury, Mm. uh, so then I got into practice, you know, graduated in, in practice, and still raced a, a bunch more, and um, you know, really raced up into the last f- few years where I um, I got into more uh, natural movement training and and not as much um, triathlons really, and, and eventually phased that out. And now I do mostly um, a lot of move MoveNet and, and you know outside natural movement type uh, activities like running barefoot and trail running and even climbing trees and lifting logs and shouldering logs and carrying stones and throwing and catching drills and, and, you know, all these, uh, you know, different type of crawling movements that we can do to, to basically utilize the whole, uh, the whole human body in in a, in a sort of natural setting. And, um, so a few years ago, I think 2011, uh, i opened up the uh the sock doc site my website um and basically it is a, a focus on natural injury and treatment for um for all athletes maybe with a little bit more emphasis on the endurance athletes since that's my uh that's my background for so many years and i really just discussed there how to uh how to take care of yourself uh, what, you know, and perform better and to be a healthy athlete and not just be a fit athlete, but actually be healthy at the same time. And, and you know, not just race fast, but actually live a healthy yeah. lifestyle. So you're sleeping well, you're living well, you're eating well. And when all that comes together, you know, you're, uh, you're also, you know, you're hopefully very, very fit too and, uh, not getting injured. But if you are unfortunate enough to get injured, then there's lots of information and videos and things like that on the site on how to, Deal with these things naturally uh, in, in, in the most holistic way, meaning not even using um, you know ibuprofen or aspirin or something like that, but actually how to how to correct these things and hopefully prevent them from coming back again so that 's what i 've been up to nice
0: I, I love that there, there's so many questions that have come from that that I want to ask you, but uh, I guess first of all you know one of the things you spoke about just then is the difference between fitness and health and and I think that's such an important distinction to make because I think so often in our society, we just assume that whatever we do to obtain fitness is is therefore going to make us healthier. And you know, you see things in magazines where they they put up these elite athletes as being you know pinnacles of you know health and what we should goal and aspire towards. But but it's not always the case. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that difference between fitness and health?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, for the the, the average person out there, equates a highly fit person where as a healthy person and and actually a lot of times it's it's very it's very untrue uh you know as as an athlete develops and as an athlete becomes more and more um what's the word maybe we call them elite or highly competitive specialized Uh, perhaps yeah 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 specialized is a good word i mean let's say at the top of their game especially when they're training for a major competition uh whatever that may be uh you know they tend to Sort of, I like to say, you know, they ride the red line. You know, they're at the point where their fitness is so high, they're making a lot of stress hormones. Their body's just at the point where they're probably not recovering that well. They're trying to peak, and and you know, they break down. Uh, that's what happens with with so many athletes, and they end up getting injured or ill just because they're always pushing their bodies to this limit, either in endurance or strength or speed or, or whatever it may be. So you know, there's such a there's such a fine line between the two where. A very healthy athlete can become more and more fit, but then if their health falters, if they're not recovering well, if they're not sleeping well, if they're not eating well, too much stress, you know, because for most athletes, you know, like unless that's their job, you know, they've got family responsibilities, work responsibilities, sort of like real life, right? Then, um, you know, that stress just ends up wearing them down and they're still trying to push themselves at the fitness level. Yeah. And then, and they don't want their fitness to falter because, you know, the, they always think that that's more important than their health. And next thing you know, they end up with issues. So, you know, they, they, they work together. But, you know, in, in order to be healthy, you need to be fit. In order to be fit, you need to be healthy. But they also, when you get more specialized and more competitive, they tend to be very inversely proportional where health falters, you know. So you can't just look at that person who's running, you know, a 230 marathon and think that they're healthy. For the most part, they're. They're probably not and they've probably got some, uh, some a lot of health issues, whether that's achy, achy joints or poor sleep or, or you know immune system issues or, or a whole host of other things due to, due to uh, pushing their bodies so much to become fit.
0: Yeah, and and this is reminding me actually of another episode, another interview I did with a guy called Dr. Jeff Spencer, who was also a chiropractor. Yeah, you've, you've probably heard of. And uh, yeah, we he was interviewed L- him. Lances,
1: right? Yeah, yeah,
0: right. yeah. We interviewed him in the early days on the Wellness Guys, which is my other podcast show that I do. And, and one of the things he said was, you know, we asked him sort of what's the real difference between sort of the best of the best and the rest, and his answer was rest and recovery, which surprised yeah. us all.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you hear the term today. Um, Athletes like to say they're not over training, they're under recovered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I seem to hear that more and and I think I think people are starting to realize that the rest and recovery, so so not just actually sleeping well, but also active recovery. You know, you know, most athletes know that, you know, a recovery day doesn't mean you sit on the couch all day and eat junk food <laughs> and watch T V. You're actually still eating very well and you're, you know, actively resting, you know, maybe you're doing some balance work and maybe you're doing a a, a brisk walk, but you're still doing something. And also, you know, most people don't sleep very well. If you're, if you're pushing your body hard and your, your bodies make a lot of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, then, you know, that interferes with melatonin levels, which you need to sleep well throughout the night. So you might be tossing and turning, or you might wake up for, 10 minutes you might wake up for an hour while you're sleeping you might you might have to wake up in the middle of the night to go pee which i always tell people is is not a normal sign you shouldn't have to wake up the night to go to go to the bathroom and that's a sign that your body's under too much stress and, and you have disrupted sleep so therefore you're not going to recover as well and you're essentially under and therefore you could become overtrained.
0: yeah it's such good points so so Steve as you were going through your own journey you know what was it that made you start to think about I guess doing things a little bit differently to everyone else around you obviously looking at your diet looking at the way you moved all these sort of things was it was there anything in your life that you, that you felt like was falling apart a bit you know were you experiencing injuries or ill health or anything like that or or was it more just a strive towards optimal performance to get the absolute best out of yourself
1: I mean, I think it was a little bit of both. I was always really competitive, and way back in high school, you know, uh, as a wrestler, that's how that's I grew up wrestling. And and you know, as a wrestler, uh, you know, my diet definitely wasn't good. It was super low calorie, restricted diet, high carbohydrates, and you stayed away from fat because that's what we thought you had to do in the in the early '90s, late '80s. You know, but and I mean, I was, and then when I got into triathlons right after that, I mean, I had. I'd say almost every injury, I had iliotibial band syndrome, I had plantar fasciitis, I had Achilles tendinitis. I had, you know, patella issues, shoulder issues. I always sort of had like some ache or pain that I was dealing with that either kept me from training as well as I should or even kept me out of a race in it. And it wasn't until, um, you know, my sort of, I'd say somewhere early on in my chiropractic schooling, you know, in, in the early mid 90s, um, you know, where I started uh, looking and, 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 investigating the more higher fat diets at the time. You know, we had like the 40, 30, 30 diet back then. Some people right, might remember, you know, talking about 40% fat, 30 protein, 30 carbs, or maybe it's 40% carbs and 30 protein, 30 <laughs> fat. I think it was something like that. But you know what I mean? And, you know, it taught people talking about more, uh, fats to, to, burn more, to burn more fat as fuel rather than burn more sugar. And, and I became very interested in that. And then once I started my practice as, as a physician, then I saw that apply also to patients. In other words, when, you know, if someone had general aches and pains, they tended to recover faster if they ate more fats and they tended not to if they ate more carbohydrates or they became more easily injured if they ate more fats. And and also correlating that with aerobic endurance and, and anaerobic excess. In other words, you have to eat how you're training. So if you're training for endurance, you better be eating more fats so you fuel the aerobic system, which you're trying to to, uh, to, uh, improve or, or, um, or, or or develop to a higher level. Whereas if, you know, maybe if you're a sprinter or strength athlete, you can get away with some more carbohydrates because that's more anaerobic. So, you know, there's that balance between diet and fitness and health too, of course, but, you know, eating for your, eating for your training type, eating for your performance and, uh, sort of not just following the latest and greatest fad. So, so I, I sort of just put that all together and started learning on my own and from many other. You know, great people out there on how diet and performance work together, and I saw it work better in myself, and I saw yeah. it work, uh, you know, work in, in those people who I was, I was uh, treating.
0: And so you've started touching on stuff there about about fats for endurance, and and a lot of people out there will be listening to that and saying, "Hang on a second, what? Like fats for endurance?" Because you know their concept of endurance exercise is around you know carb loading and sugars yeah. and gels and energy drinks. So. Can you go into that in a bit more depth? You know how how why is that the norm? You know, kind of for most of our endurance athletes at the moment, even though we know it's now changing, and and, and why is that? You know, what's the different approach here where we're talking about getting more fats in there for endurance?
1: Yeah, I, and I, I do agree with you. I think it's I think it's changing, uh, obviously for the better. You know, more and more people are realizing that how fat how fats uh, fuel your system. Um, you know, basically, it comes down to that. Uh, an efficient human being, even as you and I are, are talking right now, um, you know, we should be hopefully burning, you know, 80 percent fat, and you know, the, the other, the rest of it, carbohydrate. But you know, most people are the exact opposite. They're they're going around all day. They're using sugar. They're using glucose as a very inefficient fuel source. And, and their body will hang on to fat or not utilize fat as fuel very well and they're always burning sugar so they don't have they don't have very good performance both mentally meaning you know even in your workplace you know you might not be as sharp you might not be as creative you might not or your brain might fatigue very quickly uh, and they don't have great physical performance they, a lot of people just have never developed uh, the aerobic system in other words they've never, put in the time to really teach their body to burn fat as fuel uh so they can't go you know even maybe a half hour or or of course more without eating because their body is just burning up sugar all the time and they're always trying to top the tank off by eating carbohydrates and eating carbohydrates because you know you only can store so much glycogen right you only can store you know so much in your muscles and you know Several hundred grams, typically, I think it is, is three, 400 grams, depending on your size, and another 70 or 90, I forget the exact number, in your liver. So, you know, you only can go so far on carbohydrates, but your body has stored a massive amount of fat. Even if you're lean, you can go so much longer by, by burning fat. And to utilize that system, you not only need to, you know, do it nutritionally, in other words, eat healthy fats, which I would consider like uh, meats, you know, grass-fed, pasture-raised meats, eggs, pasture-raised eggs um butter of course i think is one of the best fats coconut oil uh, avocados olive oil fish oils nuts and seeds to some degree and you also need to train aerobically you know you you don't always want to be training at a high intensity you know anaerobic type uh anaerobic intensity so you're so you're actually developing your aerobic system at a sort of low to moderate uh, intensity with whatever type of uh, typically cardiovascular exercise you may be doing, running, cycling, swimming, rowing, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, people just don't put in the time to do that. They might they might do it once or twice a week, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes, but, you know, ideally you're doing stuff like that if you want to develop your aerobic system for, you know, 45 to an hour, if not longer, you know, maybe even a couple hours here and there, you know, uh, often. So.
0: Yeah, and, and sounding yeah. very similar to, I guess, uh, you know, Mark Sisson's approach with this sort of primal fitness. You know, it's, it's yeah. a little bit of intense stuff and then and then some sort of more relaxed, longer stuff as well.
1: That's right. Yeah. And Mark used to be, you know, a great triathlete yeah. way back, you know, and, and, a, and a marathoner. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, I think people look at, like, you know, great athletes running. So let's talk about, since we're talking about endurance, you know, marathons like, you know, Kenyans and Ethiopians who are winning these races, and they don't mm. realize that. They're 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 running these super fast you know sub two twenty marathons and their their heart rates are like most people's resting heart rate you know that might be somewhat yeah. a, somewhat of an exa- exaggeration of course but you know their 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 heart rates are probably like in the one twenties one thirties you know they're burning fat almost the entire time That's crazy and you know you know most of us can't you know run a sub eight minute mile without pushing our heart rate over one fifty or one sixty you know so. You sort of just become an efficient, a super efficient human being when you develop your aerobic system. Even if you're just looking to go out hiking for several hours, you know, wherever you want to go, you know, you shouldn't need to be eating and stopping. You should be able to go a long time, you know, several hours without eating at an aerobic pace.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing about when you do start sort of converting to be a bit more of a fat burner is is that you kind of have that freedom, I guess, where you know if you do want to go out for a couple of hours, you know, for me it's often going out and doing stuff with the kids, and so it might be yeah. going for a hike and carrying some of the kids on my shoulders. It might be going for a kayak or you know whatever it happens to be, going for a bike ride. But you know, you can go out for a couple of hours without this constant, like, well, where am I going to stop? What do I have to take with me? What food do I? You know, you kind of you, you yeah. get yourself away from that necessity of preparation, I guess.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't know about you, but one of the hardest uh, questions I, I still get from patients is, well, what am I supposed to snack on? Yeah. You know, and 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 now my reason is, or my answer is, well, you know, if you're eating enough throughout the, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, your three main meals a day, you really shouldn't be needing to snack. You know, you shouldn't have to carry some typical or usual carbohydrate-derived de- food to be snacking on throughout the day, which all that does is create like a habitually high or imbalanced blood sugar level. You know, you, it goes up and then down, up and then down, where if you're eating enough proteins and fats and, you know, carbohydrates here and there for your meals, then, uh, you know, you can sustain yourself to, for five to six hours. And, and I think an endurance athlete should be able to race, you know, two, uh, in a race, you know, easily two hours without consuming any carbohydrates at all. Mm-hmm. No problem.
0: Yeah, and that's that's exactly how I feel, and that's certainly been my experience as well. You know, I was I was able to do an ultra marathon here in Adelaide, palio, and uh, without needing that stuff, and it, and it's it's great, and it, it's great yeah. to be able to just go out on your training runs. Like you said, I'd go out on training runs for up to two hours without taking any food or hydration with me. You know, people say like, what yeah. sort of electrolytes are you using? What sort of you know? And and the simple fact is, if you look after yourself right, then then you can get away with that, and you can do that.
1: That's right. And and so back to your original um, what you alluded to there, you know, talking about carbo loading, you shouldn't have to carbo load because if you're burning fat as a primarily fuel as a primary fuel and eating carbohydrates when you need to, especially after a hard event and that sort of thing, you know, I'm not t- saying – I don't think either one of us are saying, you know, don't ever touch carbohydrates, of course right. not. But but if your body is if your body is burning fat for fuel, your tank is already always topped off. You know, you don't need to you don't need to try and store more carbohydrates cuz you're going to burn them up the next day in an event. You're just you're you're, you're always staying healthy and you're also going to recover a whole lot faster too. I'm sure you saw that, you know, when you did your ultra. If you yeah. were just carbohydrate, if you were super high carbohydrate you know, then your recovery is so much more slower. And and one of the reasons for that is, mm-hmm. is cuz when you're pumping out a lot of insulin, your body makes a lot of inflammation, you know. So.
0: And, and, and that kind of helps us sort of segue into the other stuff you wanted to talk about, which was the natural movement stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I found fascinating when I did do that ultra marathon was that, you know, a few weeks before I, I did the ultra marathon, mine was a 56K, you know, through the hills and through the, the trails. But a couple of weeks before that, I did a, a regular marathon on the road. And and one thing I noticed was that I actually pulled up so much better after doing a 56k run up and down hills than I did from just doing a flat run on the road. And I guess That's that sort long. of speaks of that, that natural movement stuff. So tell me a bit about your experience with MoveNAT and why you sort of started transitioning towards this more natural movement.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I, I started… Uh I learned from uh, Erwin Lacor, you know, the MoveNet founder. Yeah, and he's uh, awesome. and his Yeah, he's an awesome guy. A real good friend of mine, actually. And uh, and his sidekick, uh, Vic Verde, another good friend of mine here. They both live in the States now here. And uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I started that in 2011. I went to one of their training camps in, in West Virginia, five days. And, you know, it just, it really turned me on to like how we should be moving and all these things. You know, Hero is coming from a, you know, pretty sort of semi-elite endurance background. And mm. I was, you know, great, great fitness and, and my health was good too, but I, you know, didn't have the best strength like most endurance athletes don't. But I also realized, you know, I couldn't do like a lot of these just natural movements like crawling certain ways and, and you know, climbing and and, mm-hmm. and even just doing like an active hang for my shoulders, even though I was a good swimmer and, and, and all, all these sorts of movements. And it just really. It really sparked my interest, especially with my background in, you know, body movement and, you know, chiropractic, like you. And so I, I basically just got big time involved, sort of immersed myself in that, and got involved with those guys, and, and have been, you know, doing uh, more courses with them and, and holding my own own, uh, you know, I call them the sock doc training and treatment workshops. Just got back from actually London. Uh, or outside London, doing one of those. I'm in nice. Denmark in uh, in, at the, in August, and actually out your way in Brisbane in, in November. Um, so, I mean, I think I think like this is for human beings. Obviously, moving natural is is not just um, something that we that we should think about doing, but that actually we need to do. And, and you know, even just a simple thing like, uh, or what most people should think of as simple, like a deep squat. You know, natural uh, sort of. Rest position of a deep squat where you can sort of sit straight down with your heels on the ground. You know, a lot of human beings have lost that due to uh, you know due to poor movement and posture and and sitting in chairs our most of our lives. And and you know you can really redevelop and reestablish many of these movement patterns, which not only help you neurologically because you're you're using you're using parts of your nervous system you never used before whether that's through sensory stimulation of like walking barefoot in the grass or, or motor stimulation or motor output from cuz now you're using your you're using your your gait, different gait patterns that you've lost over the years because you know most 30 or 40 or 50 years olds probably can't say when the last time they they crawled on the ground like a sort of like a, a bear crawl or a crab walk. You know, most people didn't do that since they were in their <laughs> younger school years. So you, you develop all these or you redevelop all these neurological patterns again and all these physical patterns and, and these fascial connections that we've all lost. So no matter what your sport is, you know, because most people would say, well, my sport's not crawling and my sport is <laughs> you know, squatting down, right? But you develop these functional natural movements that – are beneficial to everybody whether you want to be competitive or you want to do you know a certain activity whether that's running or or hike or um you know swimming or cycling i mean it really doesn't matter what you do i mean these are these are natural movements that we've all have had in our body and we all still need to be doing throughout our life for you know like we talked about earlier like like optimum fitness and health you know it's not just about it's not just about um you know, trying to develop strength in your shoulders if you're crawling, it, it helps with how your brain functions and, and it's a it's a huge benefit to health too that I don't think many people quite grasp the, the benefit of it.
0: And you know what probably the biggest change I've noticed since taking a more functional approach to my fitness and, and doing some of these movements is probably the biggest thing and the probably the most unexpected one for me was how much it's changed the way I actually play with my kids. <laughs> like oh, like yeah. just yeah. literally the way you play with them in the playground and crawling around with them and, and just sort of getting down to their level and, and joining in on the just natural stuff that they just do so instinctively. And that's been such a joy
1: yeah and isn't it funny if you go to the park or a playground with them now, you know you see maybe the other parents sitting on the on the, on <laughs> yeah. the bench while their kids are playing, and you know you're out there running around and crawling and, and maybe balancing on a, a something you know like a a fence that you're probably not supposed to be walking on top of or something like that, and, you know, they're <laughs> looking at you funny, but you know i I agree with a hundred percent it's a great point, point. and the other thing I'll add to that is it also makes you look at the world differently. And that's kind of like what, like what parkour people say is, you know, I, I don't, if I'm out running now on a trail and I I see a log, you know, on the ground, I'm thinking, oh, you know, and sometimes I stop, I'm like, oh, you know, I could roll that log. I could put that log on my shoulder. I can get a different workout. yeah And And it breaks up the monotony also of just always like running, especially, you know, just running on the road, you know, even just hitting the trail, like you said, you know, with your with your ultra on the trail and how much better you felt doing that. But, yeah. you know, I mean, you, 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 you look at the natural environment so much different. You know, you might see a set of steps and think, oh, you know, I can balance on that rail or I can jump on those steps. So it just opens your eyes to things you would never, ever see before when you uh, when you actually get outside and, you know, um, off the hamster wheel treadmill and, not, you know, out of the gym.
0: Yeah, and and I think it just makes the whole experience so much more playful, you know. Yeah. Um, so you know, let's get into a little bit about the barefoot stuff, the, or the sock stuff perhaps. Um, yeah. you know, we've, we've talked about that a number of times on the show before, but just to reiterate, I'd love to hear you tell us your take on you know, why going barefooted or getting into socks is so beneficial.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is when when, I, when when we started with the name The Sock Doc, it's because uh, it was like the, I was always wearing socks here in the North Carolina winter, which, you know, it's not the coldest, but, you know, we get down in the 30s and 40s. So I, I wear socks sometimes in the winter just because I, I want to keep my feet warm. But really, I don't wear socks much at all. I'm pretty much barefoot all day long. Uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, walking or let's say moving barefoot and, and you know, therefore then walking, standing, and hopefully some people – or a lot of people get into running barefoot and to realize the benefits of it. Um, you know, you can look at many great attributes that come from being barefoot. You know, one that a lot of people talk about, I talk about on the site, is how you basically sort of resensitize your nervous system. You know, your your hands, your hands and your feet are such highly sensitive. Uh, parts of your body, just like your face and, and you know your groin too. So when you put shoes on, you dampen the sensory uh, the sensory input from the environment around you. Uh, so uh, not only are you unable to sort of use the feelers of your foot and these things called mechanoreceptors, which is how your your body, in, in this case, your feet feel pressure and touch and vibration and and temperature changes and all these different. Things you 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 lose that mechanical stimulation, but you also lose some proprioception, which is how your body uh, focuses on the position of your body in space, with one joint to another, but also where it is in the environment. And you also help to by going barefoot or, or putting less footwear on. You also help to develop the uh, sensory feelers of your feet, which are uh, known as you know kinesthetic sense. You know, in other words, how your body sort of feels the area around you. So when you, when you do that, not only does it help uh, with just how your nervous system reacts to the environment, but also how your, uh, your posture is and how you move, your gait, how you walk, how you stand, all these things. So you can get a, a huge impact, a huge positive uh, uh, reinforcement by basically wearing less footwear, something that's not going to alter your joint mechanics, alter your gait, and you're going truly back to a, a natural uh, unaltered foot function and therefore hopefully a, an, un, an unaltered gait function because you know, you're not going to move around too well if your foot uh, sensory fibers are somewhat dampened.
0: Right. And I'm so glad you talked about that, that neurological impact of it, because that's such an important part of this whole process. And, and I guess that benefit is a benefit that's common amongst both the barefoot stuff, but also the chiropractic stuff you do. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, you know, how your chiropractic understanding and your chiropractic philosophy has shaped you uh, as you've gone on this journey and sort of shaped the direction you've taken with everything else you've done.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So, you know, most people, if they're not familiar with chiropractors and maybe they are and their chiropractor just talks about, you know, adjusting bones, but, you know, our schooling is, you know, on how, how aligning the spine and, and how, uh, adjusting muscles and bones helps one to, uh, a correct nervous system imbalances because you know your nervous system integrates everything in your body you know from your cardiovascular system your digestive system obviously you know it ties everything together so we're talking about like vitalizing your nervous system here and if you're if you're not moving well in other words if you're sort of like to say maybe zigging more than you're zagging you know let's just take a common example if your if your gait is off then you end up creating postural distortions or gait distortions. And these things will actually feed back into your nervous system and, and create some dysfunction somewhere. It might end up as, you know, a pain somewhere in your body. Maybe if your gait's off and your hip hurts or, you know, the, how your your right hip and your left shoulder work together in gait and vice versa, left shoulder and right or, right or left hip and right shoulder, then, you know, you sort of, you could develop a pain elsewhere, like in your shoulder. But, um you know, how, how your nervous system integrates all these things. You could even end up with some other health dysfunction if you're, uh, if you end up, you know, with a lot of postural problems. I mean, I remember one time when, um, I saw this woman who, who fell rock climbing and she, um, she broke a couple bones, nothing too severe, but she broke a couple bones. I think she tore her meniscus, but you know, everything was repaired. And she actually told me after her fall, that she became sensitive to dairy after after that fall, so this was her telling me i, I didn't have to like recommend yeah. you know that she doesn't change her. It was pretty amazing that she realized that, and I think oh well, I, I don't think i I know I've seen that in a lot of other people who have been injured or who have gait dysfunctions or or who who have musculoskeletal problems that it, they actually end up with other issues too, in this case, you know she therefore couldn't digest dairy that well after her fall, and it wasn't because she actually directly you know, caused a small intestine or a stomach issue or or some digestive disturbance, but it was the stress of the injury and the stress of her nervous system feeding back into those certain organs through some, you know, some connection there that, you know, caused a a digestive issue. So, you know, these things, you know, kind of joke around, you know, going barefoot doesn't, you know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't cure cancer of course but uh but you know you'll you'll pretty much be healthier if you're barefoot and i you know, i have an article on the sockdoc site that's called healthy people equals barefoot people and what that means is you know you may not want to go barefoot and maybe you can't go barefoot because of your job or something like that because you should wear shoes obviously for safety in in many condition in many environments but you should be able to in other words if you can't stand comfortably barefoot without your feet hurting or if your feet are super sensitive, or if you can't walk barefoot, you know, even on, on a nice flat, smooth surface, you know, then there's a, there's a problem because you should be able to do that. Your body is meant to be able to move without some support, including the support of a shoe. You know, forget about even talking about orthotics and these other major, you know, uh, brace-like devices, but actually, you know, even, even just footwear itself. And uh, it, it feeds; it all feeds back into your ner- nervous system and can, can have pretty, pretty dramatic uh, effects. Because I, I think um, I'm pretty sure you know your foot has the most sensory nerve fibers per square centimeter than any other place on your body. So dampening that sensory input to your to your body is, is somewhat dampening your nervous system to uh, to some certain to some degree.
0: Yeah, and I guess the final thing that's probably just worth mentioning there is that, you know, for some people with, you know, some sort of congenital issue, perhaps a degenerative issue or a chronic health issue, then barefoot may not be the best for them. You know, there's a small percentage, I think, of the population who, you know, do need to go and check with their health provider before they jump in and start doing it. But as you said, for, for the majority of people, then that really should be possible.
1: Yeah, and you know the the one you would include in there too is like someone with um some neuropathies, like a diabetic exactly. neuropathy, you know, where someone can really hurt their feet because they've lost the, the sensory feeling in their feet. But of course, you know, the this is this is not not much of the population out there, you know. We're talking about some you know, someone who's already good degree of health and they and they hopefully want to take it to the next level
0: yeah absolutely well look thank you so much for the interview today mate i felt like we could have probably kept chatting for a few days in fact at times yeah. i kind of felt like i was interviewing myself right? <laughs> because oh, <cool. laughs> we're just on the same wavelength it's really cool so for the, for awesome. our listeners you know find out more uh, about the sock doc at www.soc-doc that is a hyphen isn't it yes i always right? <laughs> get mixed up whether it's a dash or a hyphen well, w- well no it,
1: it's the same thing isn't it dash.
0: i think so i think so yeah www.soc-doc <laughs> <right. laughs> Doc.com. So, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join our newsletter list at ThatPaleoShow.com, and let's help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show.